Tom Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Ground control to Major Tom Seven Commencing countdown engines on Three Two Check ignition And may God's love be with you much older than me. I remember this song. I was probably 14 when it came out. You were 14 years old? No, I wasn't born yet. In 1969, I was not alive or thought. I don't think my parents were. Well, my parents were teenagers. You did, your parents were teenagers? Oh, yeah. In 1969? Yeah. I was born in 1969. My mom was 16 when I was born. So Your mom was a cool girl. Yeah. She was feeling it. Young. Very young. She was young. Well, our artist, if you don't know who that is, is none other than David Bowie. And Ironically, this was not planned. Today is the third anniversary of his death to yes. the date, right? Yeah. Philip, Philip yes, was ma'am. like, Philip was like, wait, didn't he die three years ago and today? Was, and it was his birthday two days ago. His birthday was two days ago, January 8th. So um, he's known as, let me give you a little history on David Bowie if you don't know. It's David Bowie. He's an English singer and songwriter and actor. He um, was basically a leading figure in the music industry um, and is considered probably one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century. I mean, he was acclaimed by critics and musicians, um, especially during his work in, during the 1970s. I mean, his career was marked by reinvention, which we know more than anybody. If you look at Madonna, you look at Cher, it's all about reinvention. And he kept reinventing himself over and over again um, through his look, his visual presentation, his music, his stagecraft. And a lot of that, and most of that, I would say, had a huge impact on on pop music. Um, this said during his lifetime, his record sales were estimated at 140 million albums worldwide. Damn. I, I know that when he <laughs> passed his uh, wife Amon, she inherited hundred million bucks. Yeah, she well she was he was married to Amon, the, the supermodel the supermodel of the world. And um, yeah, so that those those numbers made him one of the world's best selling artists of all time. And he was of course, you know, as many others, was inducted into the Rock of Hall Hall Fall of Fame in nineteen ninety six. So um, you know, I, this guy for me, I mean, I don't know about you guys, like I you know, certainly in the seventies, I, I was growing up in the seventies, but I was still young. But I do remember a lot of his music philip you you probably don't remember any of his music no just i mean <laughs> later on right yeah i mean like i uh, you know just from hearing it in in remixes or you know through friends but it's so far beyond <laughs> my time yeah well you're how old are you now 31 oh so cute she's so cute <laughs> she's so cute well that's not I, mean, well, I grew up in the 70s but i'm a child of the 80s so i'm more of a labyrinth modern love david bowie right yeah me I mean, too that's what i remember totally right? totally totally i mean i that's exactly what i remember too i mean so he has he had a very interesting i mean his career is amazing but he started off with a very interesting he, he was formed his first band when he was 15 years old in 1962 way before our time um called the conrads and then he went to another band called the king bees and then he got this manager finally 
um, which which later on helped him to transition to, to being a solo artist. But um, he moved to another band called The Buzz, and he they basically put out like unsuccessful single after one after another. So you know his career was not marked from the beginning, you know, by being you know successful or, or being a hit right off the bat. Um, but a thing that's very interesting about his name, um, do you know what his real name is? I don't. It's David Robert Jones. So guess what they called him instead of David, like as a kid? What? Davy. Davy. Right. Now, now put that together. Davy Jones. <laughs> That's true. Right? Okay, so Very true. the reason that he changed his name Who's is Davy Jones. Exactly. So Davy Jones <laughs> was becoming popular around the same time and he was um a part of the Monkeys, the band The Monkeys. So everyone was like Davy Jones and it was getting confused. He was like, I gotta change my name. So he ended up changes changing his name from um from David Robert Jones or Davy Jones to David Bowie. It's kind of interesting, right? Um, his he, he it's, in 1967 he had a single called "The Laughing Gnome" where he he did this thing where he sped up all these like high pitched vocals and did all this stuff. Anyways, it didn't chart. And then six weeks later he debuted his album "David Bowie" called "David Bowie," which was met with the same fate. It was did not do well. So. After all of that, he basically decided, you know what, I'm, I'm done. And he stopped for two years. He didn't hear anything from him at all. And then he met this dancer by the name of Lindsay Kemp in 1967, and he enrolled in this guy's dance classes at the London Dance Center, and he studied dramatic arts with him. He studied like everything from avant-garde to mime to um, commedia de la art, and he became immersed in this whole like idea of creating a persona around the artist um, through those studies. So. Um, his second album, which was um, which was reissued internationally in 1972, called Space Odyssey, which is the song that you just heard from that from that album. Um, it, it had you know the whole album was very physis like it was a physis what's the word I'm trying to say philosophical post hippie lyrics on like peace and love and morality and um, very acoustic rock, um, but it was not actually a commercial success at the time. So that song and that first album was not necessarily a commercial success. It wasn't until his third album called The Man Who Sold the World um, came out and that, that particular album had a lot to do with um, schizophrenia and like mental illness. His family had a lot of mental illness. His brother was mentally ill. He had suicides in his family so it would make sense that he would sing a song about that, right? Um, and um, his next album called Hunky Dory in 1971, which is probably the beginning of when I start remembering a lot of his stuff, had two hits that were both a tribute to uh, Andy Warhol and the Velvet Underground and Bob Dylan. And the song was called Changes. And this song for me is like, I don't know, it's one of the songs that I've always loved because I think it, it always represents, it represents like, you know, things change, things happen, you go through changes. And this was, um, this was the song that he wrote about it. So let's, let's, let's give it a listen. Strange. Ch -ch 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 
Jamming good with weather and gilly 
did too far Became the special man Then we were sick as bad Ziggy really sang Screwed up eyes and screwed down hairdo Like some cat from Japan He could lick him by smiling He could leave him to hang Became on so loaded man Well hung snow white tan So where were the spiders While the fly tried to bring our bones So that bring back memories for me Getting a little closer there, David. It's a roller skating. <laughs> Sorry, that's there. You are. I pushed the wrong slider, <laughs> girl. She's still. She's got all kinds of buttons up in here still. She's still trying to get used to this stuff. You know, the thing about him though is, as well as being remembered for his musical talents, I mean, he was remembered for redefining sexuality for an entire generation, which I think is why he was so big in the gay community. I mean, when he stepped on the stage as Ziggy Stardust in 1969 originally. Um, he was Ziggy Stardust is one of the world's greatest gay icons. I mean, it, that it was at that moment. I think him as a gay icon was born because he rewrote all of the rule books. Yeah, I, mean, I think though that for David Bowie, he wasn't an activist in the traditional sense. I mean, David Bowie's music and his you know his the way he portrayed characters was kind of a background to the gay movement. But he himself was not you know, out and about, you know, waving the flag. Yeah. I mean, way, way back then there was really no flag to wave. I mean, I mean you 69 know, 69 is, you know, when it all started. Right. So, you know, I think, but you're right. I think he just by being, and that's why people by the gay community identified with him is because at the, in that time there was, that didn't happen. No, he guys was very unapologetic about his androgyny and just, you know, he was very experimental, not just in music, but just in, I remember the album cover as a kid. Remember going to the record store? Oh yeah. Lord. Oh my God. Really queen record. Store. I had, I'm going, my, my fucking record was in a record store. I Tower know. records and Virgin. <laughs> Records. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a that definitely deserves one of the these. Album, <laughs> album art was like the album art back then was just beautiful, and you it's what part of the reason you bought the record was to take it home and unwrap it. And David Bowie had the most beautiful covers and art, and you know it was a true package. Yeah, I mean you look at his you look at his photos, and it's like it's drag. I mean it it's is, it's it just the, the makeup and the outfits and the costumes and just everything. It's 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 pretty phenomenal. And at that time, that was that was breaking rules. I mean, I'm sure for you, Philip, like, you know, you've, you've grown up in a, in a place where you've seen this from the beginning. I mean, you know, when you were a kid or when you were first coming out, I mean, I don't know how old you were when you came out, but it was like probably like 15 or 16. So 15 or 16 years old. And, you know, you, you saw drag queens and you saw these things where, you know, back then you just didn't see this kind of stuff. And so to see someone, you know, like that, it kind of made people go, oh, I can relate. And, and hence, you know, becoming, um, a, a gay icon, um, you know, I, I'm sure you guys know the story because it's kind of a, a good story about his coming out. But two years after he was married to his first wife um, in 1970, Bowie told the world that he was gay uh, right on the cusp of his fame. Um, and in an interview that he did later uh, in 1972, he, you know, he sorry, when he, in 1972, when he did this interview, he said, I'm gay and I always have been. Right. So he like came out as gay. So then it was like, holy shit, like he's gay. And then he later came out and said, okay, I'm not gay. Yeah. I'm well, bisexual. He also, said, he also said later that that was probably one of the biggest mistakes he ever made was saying that because he didn't realize the power of saying that at that time and how bad it could be for 
anybody who said it out loud. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting what you just said. To add on to that, he also said that it was a bigger mistake for him in the United States than it was in Europe. Yep, it was. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, because we're just all kind of got panties in a bunch like over here. Like and just backwards. Yeah, so it, it was, you know, it's definitely interesting. But, you know, he, I think he, like you said, he realized later that maybe he had not done the, the best thing. But then he came out and said, oh, I'm a bisexual. Yeah, but, you know, he was known for fucking every woman he could get his hands on. Right. I mean, there are stories about him introducing himself and saying, may I show you to the bathroom? And women would literally <laughs> go with him in the bathroom and they okay, would leave with queen. a smile on their face. And that was how he did it. Bette Midler apparently fucked him in a cupboard. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I was reading up on it. Like, he's just been with some of the most, Susan Sarandon he's been with. He's been with really? all these women. Ooh, yeah. Girl, that's the team. Uh, Tina the Turner. Team. He had Tina Turner. So the Tina Turner. Everybody needs to do a little Tina. Wow. Well, so when he, when he, you know, but just as quickly as he like transformed himself into this Ziggy Stardust character, he changed it again. He was constantly reinventing himself. He had all these different different characters. I remember uh, it was Conan O'Brien, I think, on his show did this thing where he was from, he was flashing back on all the different versions of who David Bowie was, and it was like all these different characters, like the Bucktooth Wizard and the Hunchback this and Ziggy Stardust, and it was like all these <laughs> crazy characters. Yeah, it was the pictures are hilarious. He's like this Hunchback, he has this like thing attached to his back, and then sometimes there's giant buck teeth in this wizard hat. <laughs> I mean, I guess. But you know, he was also a voice on SpongeBob. No, he wasn't. Yeah, he was in 2007. Wait, wait, wait. He did a character on, on Spongebob. Oh, my God. the voice. What, we, what, what, uh, what character was uh, it? Or? The character, I wrote it down here. It was Lord Lord Royal Highness. Lord, of course it was. <laughs> Lord Royal Highness. And was, it, was it like a crustacean? Or like, what was he? <laughs> crustacean. Well, he used a celebrity status. You know, he produced albums for Lou Reed and Iggy Pop. So he kind of went into a different direction. Um, in 1973, he, he disbanded the Spiders. So he stopped with that, shelved his whole Stardust product persona, and, um, you know, continued with a similar kind of glam rock style, but just wasn't doing it as Ziggy Stardust. And he released his album in 1973 called Aladdin Sane and it had tracks like The Gene Genie and Let's Spend the Night Together um, he collaborated with Mick Jagger and Keith Richards so let's hear um, let's hear The Gene Genie this is from um, the Aladdin uh, Sane uh, album <laughs> Flashback blazers ate all your razors while pulling the waders. Talking about Monroe and walking Snow White. New York's a go-go and everything tastes nice. Poor little greenie. Genie. I used to love I Dream of Genie. <laughs> just reminded me of that. <laughs> I Dream of Genie. Um, there, uh, yeah. So um, around this time, he released this album called Pinups, which was like a, a, an album filled with just cover songs that were originally recorded by a bunch of different artists um, and bands, including like Pink Floyd and stuff like that. But um, by the mid-70s, Bowie had undergone like a full scale makeover. He no longer did these like outrageous costumes and these garnished sets. And um, in two years, he released... Um, 
two albums. He released uh, an album called David Live, which was him live, and then Young Americans. And you know, Young Americans, you, you remember that song, right? I do. Yeah. Have you have you heard that song yet? No, Philip? never. Yeah, it's it's really an awesome um, it's an awesome song because uh, I don't know. It feels very it's it's patriotic and it was trying. I was thinking it was during the war, like kind of. I don't know the whole history behind Young Americans, but it just has a gr- it's a gr- great song and it just feels good and it kind of makes you feel you know inspired and and being an American and I don't know a lot of things that we don't feel today yeah, <laughs> even though he's not an American right you know right well he has he actually sang a lot about America which is interesting and there's a song I'm gonna play at the very end of the show which is so apropos right now but this is one of my favorite songs I just want to give you a taste of it really quick um of him trying to sing now not like before trying to be a character so you're right once he sheds that character it feels like he's trying to actually sing a song right as opposed to like being this be person yeah. um should we go back to our little fun little um game quiz yes Let's do it. okay so well this is more of a, rather than true false who does he what other famous artist musician does he share a birthday with like Big King of Rock. Elvis. Yeah. Wow. He was born on the 8th of January as well. Exactly. Well, he was born 12 years after Elvis Presley was, but they share a birthday, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. He, he, what? Yeah. Yeah. He used to always <laughs> joke around saying that he and Elvis used to share their birthdays together and stuff. He was actually on a talk show. He's like, yeah, I, I, we get together and we share our birthdays together. And, and Conan was like, uh, really? And he's like, uh, no. Girl, <laughs> without a hint, how were we ever going to guess that one? <laughs> I don't know, girl. <laughs> you got a phone, right? <laughs> she got a she got service she got metro um okay so this is interesting so true or false david bowie was um was the one to first ever release a major downloadable single that would make sense i would say yeah to that mm-hmm. i'm gonna say false um the answer is that david bowie's telling lies was made available for download on his website in 1996 making what, it bitch? the first downloadable single from a major artist ever. It would have taken approximately 11 minutes to download it using the dial-up speed. Oh, Remember that AOL? Yeah. 
I remember one time trying to get the weather and the map was coming up. It took like a half hour just to like Not get, just that, but like somebody would call while you were online. You're like, I'm online. Yeah. Your phone, like, <laughs> oh, the good old days. So, I mean, since we're talking about that, here's an interesting fact about him. David Bowie set up his own internet service provider called BowieNet in 1998, which kept going until 2012. Wow. I did not. <laughs> so, listen to this. So, signing, signing on to BowieNet costs 10 pounds a month and each user was given a free 20 megabytes, a free 20 megabytes to make um, their own homepage. And users were given um, loads of like Bowie co- content and exclusive web chats and bonus tracks. He was ahead of, t- ahead of the curve. Way ahead of 2012? his curve. 2012? Yeah, until that's 2012. Great. That's crazy. Right. Just until 2012 we're still going. But 1998. That's like people that still have a Hotmail. <laughs> girl, I still got an AOL account. Yeah, Yahoo. Yahoo. Stop. Girl, really queen. I get really queen. I, seriously, girl. I know. I tell people, I'm like, I have AOL. They're like. Really queen. I'm like, yes, girl. I got AOL still. It's like a fake. It's free. Girl. I'm not going to get rid of it. <laughs> I, I send all my shit there that I don't really, that I don't really care about. But, um, so th- there's also this other funny story actually I should share with you that he was, um, he was actually stalked on tour once by a five foot three inch rabbit. Rabbit. Okay, you're both looking at me like, what the fuck <laughs> what? are you fucking talking about? So while he was on his North American tour in 2004, he was um, stalked by someone in a pink rabbit costume. And so he, he's like, it seemed like relatively, he didn't really, wasn't really phased by it. Like he kept seeing this what like rabbit appearing in the, in the audience. And he's like, you know, hey, it's rock and roll, whatever, like a five foot three bunny, like whatever. Um, but he said that it got a little harrowing later on because he, Bowie got on a plane out of New York and the bunny, still in costume, was on the plane. <laughs> Get out. Out of here. No. <laughs> just imagine like he was it's like the Fiji water girl, like exactly. what is that presence behind me, bitch? <laughs> totally creeping. Like, two seats behind, like two, oh, I know. I was like, um, okay, that would be kind of scary if you were sitting at the bunny came on the flight. Come on. That's a good way to stalk someone though. But if you're gonna stalk someone, do it fun. Do it like that. Do it like all fun and cute. Like and just hide out in front of their house in your bunny costume. I know, bro. That makes me think of that Donnie Darko. Oh yeah. That creepy ass bunny. <laughs> what with bird bunny? Donnie from Darko. from yeah, that movie. Oh, wait, what movie? Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko. It's like a cult classic, you know. Yeah, it's like I still haven't seen it. Oh my god, it's like obscure. the creepiest bunny you've ever seen. And it like and it's you like kind it. of like a stalker bunny. Yeah, you watch it, you're like, Am I high? Am I I must be high watching this. Am I <laughs> or I wish I was high yeah, watching it's the only this. Way you get it. Right? So just kind of going on with his career, in 1980, he, he's now living in New York, and he released Scary Monsters, um, which was a, a very, you know, applauded album that featured Ashes to Ashes, and an, kind of an update, after that, which is kind of an updated version of his earlier Space Odyssey um, number. And he did um, he did this song called Fashion, which I thought was cool, because when I, right, it's an awesome song, right? And when I listen to the song, what, I'm thinking, wait, first of all, what does this remind me of? And then I was like, wait a minute, who copied this song? Like a little bit. Like I'm thinking maybe, and it never, I never put that together. I'm going to let you listen to a piece of it. And then when we're done listening to it, I want you to tell me like who, who it is that I'm thinking of that I'm pretty sure got their shit from this song. Okay, here we go. Thank you. 
Definitely. I heard that today and I was like, I was listening to it and I never, I never put that together and I was like, wait, did he just say, turn to the left, turn to the right, <laughs> work. That really is what fashion is about, right? Just turning to the left. I mean, it is, right. but I kind of wonder like if she really did kind of get it from that. Probably. I because mean, it's, it sounds like it. It's not always just. always been influential just with everyone. So Madonna and Gaga and even all the divas we have now. Isn't that true? Like, so they, they straight up admit it. They straight up admit it. Yeah. Which, I mean, why shouldn't they? They have yeah, to be influenced exactly. by somebody. Like, it's a homage. Just it, do it. it. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I just think that maybe, you know, RuPaul should give a shout out to Mr. Ziggy here. Um, but here's my, my one of my favorite tracks. So, Bowie actually teamed up with Queen, which, um, you, do you know this, Philip? Queen yeah, up with yeah. Team and released this with Queen. Under and, Pressure. And, uh-huh. Again, look at you, girl. Yes, and released a single that was included um, in Queen's 1982 album called Hot Space. So, it was, it was released on one of their albums. Um, it did reach number one on the UK singles charts, and it became Queen's second number one hit in their home country, just after Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, it, the song was played every time that Queen performed live in concert between 1981 until uh, the end of Queen's touring career in 1986. So I mean, it was that big of a song. So to imagine to have to do a duet, which you know, some, most of the time when you do duets with somebody, it's like whatever. It's yeah. not. It yeah. doesn't define your career. But to have someone like David Bowie and Queen work together and have that be such a hit for Queen, it's pretty pretty incredible. Did you guys see the movie um, Bohemian Rhapsody? I have not seen. Yeah, it. I haven't either. I know. Like now, I, I mean, I I wanted to, but now I really feel like I should since yeah. he. I think so. I haven't seen a movie since 1947. Like, I never get to that house. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing the math. I'm like, how old is that? She's like, is that the fifth, seventh, 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 seventh. Yeah, I just... I, I think it's I, We talk about all the movies we want to see, but we just never see them. It's just something we talk about. You just wait till they come out, like, at home? TV, yeah. I think Girl. it's at the Castro Theater this week. Yeah, it is. You know, I, w- I would see a movie. I would, I would love to go see that at the... I mean, how gay is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, going to see Bohemian Rhapsody at the Castro Theater. Um, I definitely think we need to do that. But, like, did you watch the Golden Globes? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they were really good. Not, not, not... not okay, let me, let me rephrase this. <laughs> the hosts were not so Not the hosts. Oh, my God. It's I was jokes. Sandra, oh, no. It was bad. <laughs> I was like, no, that, that wasn't good. But I thought, like, in terms of, like, the nominees and who was selected, I thought that... that, that it was thought out. It didn't just feel like it was just like a, based on a popular vote. Right. Yeah. Um, but and also, I think sometimes the popular vote gets split amongst popular movies, leaving the odd man out to, to come and, and win. No, absolutely true. I mean, don't, don't you think that like, ver, let's say the, uh, the Oscars or Academy versus like Golden Globes, I feel like so many of the Academies are based more like you, you, whoever you expect to win, which means whoever you like the most, whatever's the most popular seems to be what wins more. Where I feel like the Golden Globes, like they actually look a little bit deeper into the art yeah. itself. And same with like the SAG Awards too. Yeah. Right. So I, I kind of, I enjoyed that. I enjoy, you know, and I thought the people that won were like, you know, they, they deserved it. Yeah, it was, there has to be a healthy balance too, because you know, like you look at people like Spielberg that are overlooked for major movies that are not just popular, but also, you know, really well done. So oh. Sometimes popularity can like work against you. No, no, abs- absolutely. Um, you know, speaking of movies, uh, David Bowie was in a movie. Yes, he was. Do you, you obviously know which one it is, yeah, right? I love that movie. So, I mean, 
he. Um, if you grew up in the eighties, you have to you have to love this movie. The funny thing is, I didn't know about that movie. Like I knew, like I I'm sure I was obviously around. I just never really saw it because I was never really. A, a, I mean, I guess I don't know if I should say this. I was really a Muppet kid. I was a Muppet. I was more of a Sesame Street kid, which I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like I did like them on their own, like the movies with them. I don't know. I didn't remember seeing it till I was actually an adult. And I actually play it at musical uh, yep. Wednesdays at the Edge when I host there. What's the movie? The movie's called Labyrinth. Uh, Labyrinth. Okay. And it's you know he's running around with a bunch of puppets singing. Um, he did have a career outside of music. I mean it wasn't. <clears throat> I wouldn't say it's illustrious, but um, he he helped. Um, he landed the title role in The Man Who Fell from Earth, which was in 1976. Um, and he starred on Broadway in The Elephant Man. Yep. Which I was unaware of until recently. I think the reviews were not great, but right. But you know, whatever. She was there, girl. That's you know, that's that's. <laughs> um, and, but she, but, but her performance was critically acclaimed. Even even if the show didn't do well, she definitely. Yeah, the show was not a big hit for sure. Um, and then in 1986, what we were talking about, he starred um, uh, as Jareth, the Goblin King, in the fantasy adventure film Labyrinth, which was directed by Jim Henson of the Muppets and produced by George Lucas. Which, you know, hello, George Lucas film. Um, Bowie performed opposite of um, Jennifer Connelly and a cast of puppets in the movie, which became now what is a 1980s cult classic. Um, so, you know, I mean. It came out around the same time as like The Dark Crystal. Do you remember I was, that? I was literally just Googling that. I'm like, yeah. I was like, it was a labyrinth or Dark, yeah, Crystal Dark Crystal that I remember. They're they about the same kind of time that those happened. I don't think I saw The Dark Crystal. Where have you been? Girl, I don't Where know. Where in the 80s? Girl, this, this, this shows up. This shows that this is, this is, this now shows like, this shows about me. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck have you been? Wait, what is that? So, that Muppet is so creepy looking. Yeah. Is that The Dark Crystal? Yeah, that's The Dark Crystal. It looks like part like monkey kind of puppet kind of. Muppets were the shit in the 80s. I don't care what you were doing. If you didn't sing Rainbow Connection, you were fucked up. If you did, oh my. You know, it's funny. When I was learned, when I was first taking vocal lessons, that was the first song. And I remember when my teacher pulled out the, the sheet music and it was the cover was Kermit yeah. and I was like you gotta be fucking kidding me <laughs> I am not singing a Kermit the Frog song I'm thinking I have to sing like him you know just cause he was on the cover and she's like no don't just, you already <laughs> sing right. like Kermit the Frog <laughs> I was like calm down <laughs> <laughs> like, <I'm trying> to... <laughs> I learned how to impersonate Kermit in this, in this cake so but no I mean that was that was definitely yeah. one of the we songs we had an elementary school teacher and she would like if we were being rowdy she would break out that little weird harpsichord thing that you play on your lap what's that thing called the little she would like strum it oh yeah wait the uh, keys she would play like two chords of like Rainbow Connection and the kids were like would be silent and we would all start singing it was so cultish and weird how many yeah, songs I was, I was we songs were into about it. We rainbows were like, like literally she could have forced us to kill people and we would have done it <laughs> you guys are singing and she, we like, I can just see this group of kindergarten kids walking out singing Rainbow Connection with knives with very children of the corn craziness happening oh my god and then one of the kids in the class was turned into that that pink bunny <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly it's full circle it's full circle well, let's just let's hear under pressure just for a second, just because I just want to hear it. All right, here we go.
did it. That's such a great song, isn't it? I think it's great. I'm glad you think it's great. <laughs> David's like, I think it's great. I think it's great. <laughs> and that's what's most important. Um, I know you were just talking about... Um, <laughs> Vanilla Ice. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what's sad is that now when I hear the beginning of that, that's the well, Yeah, Joseph. that's what happens with sampling. That's why you got to pay them. It's like... You hijack fuck. someone's baseline and you... You think you're gonna just keep it for yourself? I think I think they had to pay him a lot of money for that. I hope they paid him a lot of money well, yeah, for that. They literally I mean, ripped. But that was you have to remember sampling was a new thing. It was no one knew really kind of how to how to capitalize on it. So people just pirated it. Well, it definitely reminds me of that. I also remember. It also reminds me of him being. Do you remember when they used to do uh, on Living Color? They used to do those like fake music videos yeah. and like redo all the words. And all I remember is them doing Ice Ice Baby, and he goes. Um, Cause didn't he get stabbed? Yeah, he got stabbed. Right, so he's like, so the so the lyrics that they change it to is, I said I got stabbed in the butt, but it really was a toilet paper cut. <laughs> that's all you remember. <laughs> that's all I remember. They, they did this whole thing, and they're just like, I said I got stabbed in the butt, but it really was a toilet paper cut. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Yeah, and he really did get stabbed though. Really no, I. Who was it who beat his ass? There was some producer that just hung him out a window and said, "I'm going to kill you." And some some shady music. Definitely some shady. And shit. now he's got a home improvement show on HGTV. Does he? Really? No, yeah, he does. I mean, is totally he, like is he it good? It's, it's weird because you just wait for him to sing this song at any time. Well, now I know why you don't go to movies. You're at home watching <laughs> Ice Ice Baby on fucking home improvement shows. I like watching people renovate homes. That's my thing. I know. Well, I I kind of like that too, but I don't know about Vanilla Ice. Can you just does he does he like does what's he, his style? No, he really he goes in. He's a contractor now, and he just like fucking tears up the kitchen and puts in like new stuff. And it's, you know. Well, three years later, <laughs> years later, um, but we recorded Let's Dance, which is what you were talking about earlier. This is 1993, and it contained like Modern Love, which you remember, China Girl, My Little China Girl, all that stuff. Um, and Let's Dance, I mean, that, right? That's yeah, kind of the song that song. was right in the middle of me being a teenager and probably you yeah. as well. Um, do you know the song, Philip? Yes, I know the song. You do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, who doesn't know this stuff? Smoking clothes and sniffing poppers. <laughs> Seriously, like this song is like totally like that time. Yeah. I had jet blue black hair. I was going to high school at Santa Monica. Actually, I wasn't. I think I was. I wasn't in high school yet. I was in junior high school, but just about. And just that time when I was being rebellious. You were in Southern California. I was in Southern California. Oh, I was in rural Georgia, girl. We were like wearing our parachute pants. We thought we were doing it. Oh my God! Yeah. Do you know that just reminded me that when I because I grew up. When I was in junior high school, I was in Marina del Rey. And Marina del Rey is like... It sounds really white. It is really <laughs> white and very 
like straight and you know very concerned like it's not cool and hip and I was hanging out with a bunch of like really cool kids right so I went to school and there was this one girl who was my friend and she lived in this complex that I lived in so she we went to the same school so she's like okay she's like a punk rocker girl and I was like this bitch is cool so we went out and I bought like parachute pants and all this shit and I went to school the next day I, I remember this because I was the only one who looked like this and <laughs> I got so much <laughs> shit I mean you would have thought I was an alien because of these pants that I was wearing I mean I looked really fucking cool but I had like you know blue black hair and you know just all that all that stuff was going on during the time and Let's Dance was but I remember like you know a bunch of redneck kids trying to be cool was so bad it's embarrassing it's yeah really I mean bad. I'm sure were you would you say Georgia, Georgia? rural Georgia rural Georgia country way out in the country like there's like 25 kids in the whole class what was it what was it like here in uh what year was that <laughs> oh you weren't even oh, wait, you weren't even born yet, yet. Yeah, oh my god wait wait 83 83 yeah She's like, no, girl. No, she was in. She was in her mother's womb still, <laughs> planning, planning the outfits. <laughs> Four years out, <laughs> right? So you know, over the next decade, he bounced back and forth between like acting and music, and the music was actually suffering. Um, outside of a couple like semi hits, um, basically his musical career kind of languished a little bit. Um, he did some side projects with some musicians, and he put out um, two albums, Tin Machine and Tin Machine Two. Um, both proved to be flops, and um, his hyped album, Black Tie White noise um which bowie described as his wedding gift to his new wife um supermodel iman i backward with her um also struggled to resonate with buyers like they just it just didn't fly the same way that it had flown for so many years and even though he's still a legend he just wasn't making making the new stuff um so here is a really crazy fact so oddly enough the most popular bowie creation of that period were these things called bowie bonds what they were financial securities that the artist, <laughs> wait, listen, that the artist, <laughs> artist himself backed with his royalties from his pre-1990 work. So he, he issued these bonds in 1997 and earned $55 million from the sale of, of these bonds. And then and he started the, an internet company where he, <laughs> right, right. and then the, the, the rights to his music back catalog were returned to him when the bonds matured in 2007. Wow, that's Isn't that, genius. That's genius. Yeah, that's genius. I mean, I, I was re I, when I read that, I was like, "What? I didn't who, know you could do that. Who, who <laughs> thought of that? <laughs> who, 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 I mean, right? Who even knew you could do that? But I guess the musical rights are what's worth the money, right? But to ha to be able to get like fifty five million just by selling these bonds, like that's just nuts. I mean, it's 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 pretty. Um, it's pretty. I mean, it's who pretty buys who buys that? You know, who buys into this idea? The people that are on Boeing Net. <laughs> the people that are on Boeing Net. Um, okay, we're we're actually um, we're actually winding down here already but we we can't we can't leave this without talking about this so this next song was a song that was written by Marvin Gaye originally oh and it became God. popular in 1964 um, when uh, Martha and the Vandellas did their version and it reached very you know high on the charts and stuff like that and then the Mamas and Papas did a copy and then uh, did a cover and then Van Halen did a cover and then these two guys decided to get together and Girl. do this cover David Bowie and Mick Jagger this is so bad. <laughs> I, when I was a kid, I don't know. Do you remember Friday night videos? Yeah, it was for the poor people who didn't have MTV, so they could only uh, watch videos no, like I don't. one one time. <laughs> I, was just, I was just trying to do that. She's she's she's, she's at home. You Marina Del Rey. You, lo you lost me at four. Yeah, yeah she's got her parachute pants to take off. Um, <laughs> but Friday night videos came on at like midnight and played to like two in the morning, and you had to stay up late to do it. So. I do remember that. But, actually, you know, it's for people who did, it was regular TV, so it wasn't MTV, but it came on super late. So we would stay up and we record it on our VHS. I know you don't know what that is, do you? 
maybe. <laughs> anyway, VHS. Girl, I know what a beta is, too. Yeah, exactly. We had microwaves and everything. So um, <laughs> we recorded on VHS. And I remember I was staying up late to record. Like, I think it was like, of course I'm gay. So who's that girl? Or something. I really wanted to like record the video. Uh-huh. And this motherfucking video was on the tape the next day. And I literally was like, what the fuck am I watching? The, I, I'd heard the song on the radio, but then when I saw the video, I was like, oh my God, I don't even know how this got made. Okay, so th- I'm going to play this for you. Yeah, so just, if you have, you've never seen this video? I don't, I don't know. Okay, so, no. you, so we hear the song. When you get a chance, go watch this video. Yeah, YouTube because this is the most bizarre thing I have ever seen. And yeah. they actually did this funny spoof oh, video Guy. on it. On Family Guy, they, they showed it. Yeah. From with, beginning to end. It's like literally so funny. And there's also one where they do the sounds. Like they do, it's like, so, it's like yeah. sounds instead of like singing yeah. words. Anyways, this is the song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tokyo, South America, Australia, France, Germany, UK, Africa. song is good right it's just that it's just the video which is just like what it's so 80s 90s researched this because i was so curious about it the video was shot in one evening they literally had no idea what they were going to do they were just told just to wear matchy matchy clothes oh my god they wore like it was just the two of them like almost kissing for the whole song as, as close as they could possibly get without doing it and it was just a surprise to everyone who made the video wow wow well Bowie released his final album called Black Star on January 8th, which was his birthday in 2016. Um, and obviously he died two days later on January 10th. Um, and uh, the album actually ended up receiving um, a lot of awards. I don't know if you remember, I was actually voting for the, because you used to vote in the, in the Grammy yeah. Awards. And this was a year I remember that I was voting. And he had won Best Alternative Rock Album, Best Engineered Album, Non-Classical, Best Recording Package, and Best Rock Performance, and Best Rock Song categories all in the Grammys. So this is two days after he passed away, he won five yeah, Grammy so the trick is you gotta be dead before you're... The trick is you gotta be dead. Because, you know, he was another one that was like, you know, he'd been nominated for so many Grammys, but only won, like, a handful. Like, he didn't win a lot compared nope. to the number that he was nominated for. So it's just kind of an, an interesting thing. Um, I want to play this really quick before we go out, and then I'll leave you guys... Um, this interview, this little clip of him actually, um, of him actually talking, which is um, kind of, I just thought was kind of cool when he talks about what, what did his, David his Bowie story. think about David Bowie? Um, well, all right. I find that I'm a, a person who um, can um, take on the guises of, of different people that I meet. I can switch accents in. in seconds of meeting somebody and I can adopt their accent. I've always found that I collect. I'm a collector. Um, and I've always just seemed to collect personalities, um, ideas. I have a hodgepodge philosophy which really is very minimal. Um, very Do you little believe in God, for instance? What? Do you believe in God? Um, I believe in an energy form. But I'm not, I, wouldn't, uh, put, I wouldn't like to put a name to it. Do you indulge in any form of worship? Um, uh, life. I love life very much indeed. 
you split people down the middle, don't you, a lot. Uh, that is to say that people are, are hostile to you or they're, indi or they're totally indifferent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, kind of, what kind of reaction do you get from the people who are, are violently in favour of you? I mean, do you get fan mail? Yes, a lot. What, um, is it scabrous or dangerous or interesting or exciting? It's very sexy. <laughs> In what way? Um, well, uh, I seem to draw a lot of fantasies out of people. A lot of the fan mail I get. A lot of it is awfully nice. I mean, they, they say, um, how's your baby and how's your wife and what's your mum's name and things like that. And a lot, but some of them are worth framing. Can you tell us about one or two of the framed ones? No, I couldn't really. No, they really are quite heavy. <laughs> <laughs> heavy duty letters, they are. Heavy duty. Heavy duty. Uh, du sorry, duty. Sorry, I dropped the <laughs> You can't, like, understand. Yeah. I love it. Well, we're going to go on on this note. Thank you so much for listening to Really Queen Radio. You know, regardless of Bowie's own sexuality, it's clear that the superstar became a revolutionary icon for the gay community, pushing all kinds of boundaries that at the time was not acceptable. I want to thank my guests tonight, David Helton and Philip Grasso. Thank yep. you. Guys, so much. We're going to leave with a song called This Is Not America. And I thought, while well, written originally during the Reagan era, it kind of um, kind of fits right now. We will see you next week on Really Queen Radio. Thanks for listening, guys.
Well, hello, we are back. We are back another week and excited to be here for season two of Really Queen Radio. My name is Brian Kent and we are live from San Francisco and I have some special guests back with me once again. And we're so glad that you guys were able to make it back. Oh Lord, Really Queen. (laughs) Right off the bat. She's excited, girl. She's right off the bat. Really Queen. (laughs) How are you guys? This is, um, I'm sorry, I haven't even told you that. Just right here. I have David Helton who was with us a few weeks back. Um, he is a producer. He is a DJ. He is a party promoter. He is, girl, you everything. She's a drug dealer. She's a waitress. She's an actress and a model. I she do got, hair. She does hair. <laughs> and she does it well. You should see hers, girl. It's fierce. <laughs> and uh, we have um, Philip Grasso, who is also a DJ and a producer, spinning the scene and uh, the, the men the men's dance circuit scenes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Keeping the boys happy. Well, we're glad that you guys are back. You guys have a, uh, a, a good couple weeks since I've seen you? or Yeah. It's been, it's been so long, girl. Oh, it's you guys, I mean, you don't look any older. I know. <laughs> you, do not look, you do not look any older. Well, if you are just joining us here on Really Queen Radio, welcome. Again, we are live from San Francisco, and each week we explore a new musical artist who has helped to influence and form the LGBTQ culture as we know it today. The show was born out of a conversation I was having with a friend where I said... Uh, you know, hey, do you know who this person is or do you love the song and this is so-and-so? And my friend was like, uh, who is this? And literally, it was at that point, I was just like, really, queen? <laughs> or actually, what I said was... Really, queen? Uh, I had the soundbite with me. Um, <laughs> I, I just... I, made, your phone. I literally carried around just... Just in case. <laughs> I just walk up to idiots and go, really, queen? Um, but yeah, so we've wanted that. Um, and we are here today talking about an artist and these guys don't know who that artist is until I announce it. So, a couple of things. One is you can call in during the show if you'd like to speak to us at 415-550-0511. Um, don't forget we're on Instagram at reallyqueenradio and our website is reallyqueenradio.com where you can find all the information on where to find our podcasts. Um, we are live on Thursday nights from uh, 8pm until 9pm Pacific Standard Time and then we are um, on our podcast um, platforms all basically everywhere. So, um, if you have a podcast uh, uh, platform, we're there. Um, so are you guys ready? Yeah. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Are you excited? I'm excited. This. Um, so keeping in the vein of the first season, we did a lot of um, females. So keeping in the vein this season, I'm trying to focus also on the guys that, and by the way, I want to say this, you know, um, um, it's harder, I think, for a male artist to become a gay icon. Yeah. Right? Don't you agree? Yeah, for sure. I mean, even even performer. And, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a recording artist, and my fellow recording artists, such as you know, everyone from Jason Walker and Ari Gold and Matt Zarley and. You know, just the list goes on and on of these guys, David Hernandez, who are out gay artists. But it's harder for for the gay, especially gay men, to look up to us for some reason. It's always you know, it's interesting. You don't have to be a gay artist to be a gay icon. Look at Prince. Look at you know, like we said, David Bowie. Lab. Absolutely. So a lot of times, it's easier for the people who are kind of the androgynous in the middle. I think you know. For gay guys, it's hard. For sure, and I and, I, and I'm certainly not implying that we should be gay icons, but I think even I find sometimes like even the support is harder coming from you know we all love our our big black divas singing and yep. wailing, you know what I mean, and and so I think it's it's just it's just a tougher road, and so we don't really think often a lot. I mean, we have a handful. I think if we look back in history of gay male icons, or whether they were especially if they were actually out and right. gay. That's the thing, though. See, that's that's the that's the Achilles heel. So I think about Ricky Martin. Ricky Martin was the biggest star in the world when he. Did 
did the Grammys, the biggest star in the world. And all I could think was, wow, wouldn't it be great if he was an ally and out? But what was this motherfucker doing? Getting on VH1 and saying, nope, I have a girlfriend. And, you know, he played that to the bitter end. And I think had he been out loud and proud during the Grammys, he would have been a true gay icon. Right. Whereas waiting to come out on People Magazine, you know, a decade later when your career's virtually done. And, you know, I, and I get it. Everyone has their own journey and you have to, you know, and he, maybe he wouldn't be Ricky Martin if he had, exactly. if he, if he had done that, you know, and I mean, we talked about David Bowie um, on the last time that you were here and, you know, how he said that was probably the biggest mistake that he ever made. And so if you think that was, you know, then maybe it would have been the same thing. So I mean, it goes all the way down to Ellen. Like, like mm-hmm. when Ellen came out, she lost everything, yep. but she had to rebuild it. Yep. Same thing with Ricky Martin. Now he's playing gay characters on TV. But initially what I'm saying is when in the, when we needed them the most in the late eighties, early nineties during the epidemic, yeah, it would have sure. been great if yeah. you would have had the most the biggest star in the world saying, yeah, I'm gay. Yeah. And it's okay. As opposed to saying, mm, I don't know if I'm right. 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 Really, really going. <laughs> right. You know, it's, and it's interesting before I like, get too much on a tangent, you know, when I made my music videos, I have six music videos and I always made sure that in my music videos, because I know a lot of my my cronies who are definitely they're out, but they make their music videos to where they're like in a car with a girl or kissing a girl or courting a girl. Not all of them, yeah. but some of them. And I'm just like, I can't do that. Like I, yeah. I feel like I have two choices. I can either be true to my music, and that's the only way that I'll succeed, or um, I have to play this game, which I don't think I'll ever really be the true musician that I can be if I'm hiding myself. It'd be like an artist, a painter that couldn't let themselves free and let all their creativity out. I feel like I had to be who I was. So in my videos, like I don't have to be overtly gay. I don't have to yeah. be making out with a guy. I don't have to have it to where if a straight person's watching my video, they go, oh, I don't relate with the song because it's about a gay a gay relationship, right? I just tried to make it more about a relationship in general or a right. situation. But general I think that was- as gay men, we're, we're disappointed when our icons don't claim us. Do you, and you know what I'm sure, saying? Like, of course. Like even with a, it's like your parents not owning owning you because you're gay. Like you yeah, want someone yeah. to say they're okay, you're okay, I'm this, we're all okay. Exactly. And like you know, you're saying you cover a lot of the women is because the women like during the 80s they were really on our side. Like they they had no problem jumping in with the gay men and saying I'm I'm part of this group. How did you feel when you came out, Philip? <laughs> <laughs> so Are you out yet? I'm sorry. We, uh, yeah. Uh, did I just out you, Philip? Oh my girl. god. Oh girl. I mean, I grew up here and it, it was like it wasn't even a big deal. So well, because you have San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco. It was no, like, but I think I was also like the school that I was at. If I was at a different school, I probably would have felt less comfortable. Or if you were, you're from Georgia. Like if I you know. were in Georgia. No, we didn't go to gay school. We went to regular school. I I, I call how it, it I, in Marina. How was it in Marina Del Rey, girl? <laughs> Seriously, no, girl. I I tell people that I I went to gay school because I was bused to an all black school. <laughs> Oh my God, the story. I love the story. This is a fucking true story. When I was in elementary school, I was bused. And, and, and so every day I get on a bus and I go to, to Hobart Elementary School in Los Angeles downtown and I get off the bus. And with the whole point of immigration or immigration, integration. <laughs> girl, you don't leave the country. Girl, I felt like I was immigrating. I was going downtown, girl. Um, but the whole point of, um, you know, that whole program was to have, you know, blacks hang out with whites and, 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 and to, to intermingle and to mix. But they didn't. They just got off the bus and they hung out with their friends and yeah. they just didn't intermingle. Whereas I got off the bus and I went and hung out with all the black girls. I did the same thing. And I mean, we played and we did hair oh, and we, hair, did, right. we did song. I had cornrows. I got back on that bus and nobody wanted to sit next to my white ass because I had cornrows in my hair. And I remember I got out, got out. My mother picked me up from school and she looked at me with this, this like, look of what the fuck what has happened that? to your hair. It was the seventies. So my hair was longer and, and they, they, they cornrowed it. And she said, uh, she said, what happened to your hair? And I looked straight at her and I said, I integrated. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, okay, <laughs> touche. 
okay. <laughs> Got nothing to say about that. So anyways, this next artist, <laughs> now, now we're back to this then. This next artist absolutely is a gay icon for many, many reasons, but let's just, let's just hear him, hear him out first and hear what I think now is probably the song that is identified most with him, um, which ironically didn't start out as his most successful number, but later on uh, went out to be, uh, turned out to be something that was really, really something amazing. It's a little bit funny This feeling inside I'm not one of those who can Easily hide I don't have much money But boy if I did I'd buy a big house where We both could live If I was a sculptor <laughs> But then again, no Or a man Who makes potions in a Traveling show I know it's not much But it's the best I can do My gift is my song And this one's for you Tell everybody This is your song It may be quite simple But now that it's done I hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down in the words How wonderful life is For your I just love that song. It's I just like, it's hard just not to just get emotional. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first time I ever heard that song, this is probably embarrassing, but um, it was in Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's embarrassing. It, yeah. <laughs> I love that song, though. <laughs> Wait, Moulin Rouge? Yeah. Really queen. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite movie. <laughs> I know. No, I mean, I, and you know that, but it's good that, like, at least there was movies like that that are rebirthing, so people, like, you can understand it. You know, I mean, that's I've sung that song in my repertoire on tons of shows. I've sung the song. Um, he and I have a similar so I like to do a lot of his material and you know that's just always a song and then of course you know Hugh McGregor did an amazing remake of that and that so it definitely gave it more life um, and, and a rebirth but let's 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 learn a couple things about him um, that we may or may not know um, so you know he's it's Sir Elton Hercules John that's his that's his full name Hercules, but, his, Hercules. Mm -hmm. but originally his born name is Reginald Kenneth Dwight yeah, we know why he changed his name. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's English, obviously. He's a singer, pianist, and composer. Um, and he's worked with, lyri uh, with lyricist um, Bernie Taupin um, as a songwriting partner since 1967. And we'll talk a little bit later about how they ended up coming together. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of pretty fantastic how that happened. But they've col collaborated on more than 30 albums together over the years. Damn. Imagine having a writing partner that you work that long with that right. you don't end up 30 killing or murdering. Um, here's some statistics that I just thought were really cool that I just want to like let everybody know. So he sold more more than 300 million records, making him one of the best-selling music artists 
in the world. I think a hundred million of them were the Candle in the Wind remake. Yeah, they were. I, I remember that song. No, they were. Out. Like they were. Everybody I knew had it. My grandma had it. My aunt had it. I had it. Yeah, we're, we'll talk about that um, specifically in just a minute. He has had more than fifty top forty hits, including seven consecutive consecutive number one albums. Seven consecutive. Num- Imagine you put seven albums out and every one of them is consecutively number one. I mean, that's just freaking unbelievable. Fifty eight Billboard top forty singles. Twenty seven top ten. Um, uh, four of which reached two and nine related uh, relate, reached number one so like tons of that um, his tribute to Candle in the Wind 1997 which was um, originally which was rewritten in dedication of Princess Diana sold over 33 million copies worldwide so you're almost there you're almost there 33 million copies um, he's uh, composed music produced records and has occasionally acted in films he's received five Grammy Awards nominated for around 30 another one who's like how do you get how do you have this history and yep. this repertoire and be this famous and sell that many albums and only have five Grammy Awards when you were nominated for 30. Because you were number one. Because you were number one all those times. It It can work against you. It's, it's, yeah, apparently. I mean, it's crazy. Um, He has an Academy Award, a Golden Globe Award, a Tony Award, a Disney Legends Award. He, Kennedy Center Honors in uh, in, in 2004. They did uh, the Kennedy Center Honors in his name. Um, He was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1984. I mean, it just, it just goes on. And he was knighted uh, by Elizabeth II, which is why he's now Sir Elton John. Um, and, um, you know, for me, you know, he was always a gay icon because I always felt like he was gay. You know what I mean? I, but was he ever in the closet? I mean, I try, I'm like, you look at him and you're like, come on now. Right. It reminds me of like the whole so, Liberace phenomenon. Right. Exactly. So he announced that he was bisexual. Not until 1976. Right. And, and so has, has been openly gay since 1988. So... Right, open like like oh, ad- right. admittingly but, gay, yeah. and he entered into a civil partnership with his now um, his now husband David Furnish um, in 2005 when same sex marriage uh, became legal in England. Um, but you know he another one that wasn't like really just fully out like he he acted <laughs> as if he was right. right, but he he definitely was not. It's that time period. There's something there's something that happened in the culture club time period where these gay artists were still closeted but everyone knew we just weren't allowed to really talk about it or they couldn't talk about it well, it was yeah. very confusing it's a very confused but yeah. that even continued like with Prince I mean like yeah. not that Prince is gay no. but like you could be this flamboyant character and nobody cared but the moment you said I suck a dick it's over <laughs> it's over <laughs> it's over <laughs> right you know what I'm saying like Elton John is, I mean I think about the whole Liberace phenomenon I I still can't get my head around how all these women were throwing themselves at Liberace. I'm like, ladies. And, and even even men, even straight, the straightest narrow of men who knew that like Liberace was gay with flamboyant. They didn't, but they didn't care. Like yep. they didn't care in terms of listening well, to the you music. You could say it. You could, you could, it could be implied and you could dance around it. But the moment you said it, career over. Right. Totally. So, you know, he started, you know, he's like this child protege. I don't know if you knew that. He started playing his grandmother's um, piano when he was very, very young. Um, and within like a year, he his, his, his mother heard him picking out the skater's waltz. So um, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a very difficult piece of music. So he started performing at like family gatherings, and um, by the age of seven, he you know ended up taking uh, regular or formal um, piano lessons. And um, when he started taking piano lessons, um, he he just he he was so good that by the age of eleven, he won this junior scholarship to go to the Royal Academy of Music. Wow! At, at eleven years old, to win Damn. that kind of a scholarship, and one of his instructors said that um, he would hear something and he would play it. He heard this piece by Handel, for example, and he would hear it and he would play it back like it was a phonograph. 
Like he could literally like hear something and just start playing it. He said it was really phonograph. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have one either, but I know what they are, girl. Um, and at the at the at the age of fifteen, with the help of his mom and his stepfather, um, Reginald Dwight. No, that's that was his name at the time. Um, he became a weekend pianist at a nearby pub um, at, at the Northwood Hills Hotel, playing Thursday to Sunday nights. I mean, this is a fifteen-year-old kid who's right. playing at a in pub, a pub. In a pub uh, as a regular um, weekly gig. But here's the cool part about his partnership with Bernie Taupin. In 1967, Elton answered an advertisement in the British magazine called New Musical Express. The ad was placed by this guy named Ray Williams, who was then the A&R manager for Liberty Records. And their first meeting, Williams gave Elton an unopened envelope of lyrics that had been written by Bernie Taupin, who had also answered the same ad. Right? right, but as a lyricist, so he said, you know, go write, go write to this. So Elton wrote for the music for those lyrics, and then um, sent it to Taupin, and that began uh, their partnership for the next whatever number of lifetime. years. Yeah, for a lifetime. For the whole lifetime. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible that these two, you know, this lyricist and this composer would write to the same magazine and be teamed up and paired, and then that is kind of how that ended up, ended up happening. Um, but I mean, you certainly, Philip. You you know Elton John. Yeah. Uh, outside of your song, you you had heard of him growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Because your parents played him, or no? I mean, on the radio. <laughs> Yeah, on the phonograph. On the phonograph. <laughs> she, she used to listen to him on the phonograph, um, right? Um, so he released his, his self-titled album called Elton John in 1970, and um, he kind of established the formula for all of his subsequent uh, albums, which is kind of like this gospel-corded, you know, rocker with poignant ballad kind of thing, um, and. The second single, they hit a single called Border, Border Song, which peaked at 92, which didn't do that well. But then the second single, which was your song that we just listened to, hit number seven. It didn't actually go number one. And it, and the irony is that this is now probably the song that he's most known for. Right. Right? But when it first came out, not you know not so much. I mean, you know, number seven's great, but it wasn't what we would think it would be um, now. Um, he then went on in 1972 to release his album called Honky Chateau. Um, and it became his first... <laughs> Honky Chateau. Yeah, it actually did really well. It, it, was his, it actually it, did really well. Yeah, it was his first U.S. number one album ever, yep. and it um, it had this song on it, which everybody knows. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about um, what this what the song means to me and what did it. But this this is one of the songs on the album, his first album that went number one in the uh, United States. You packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, nine a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. I miss the earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space on such a time.
longest time to figure out what the fuck he was saying this there. This is also the title of the movie that's coming out this year. Yes. It is. It's, um, I think, when is it? Do you know when it comes out? I didn't. I watched the trailer a couple days ago. Um, but I know it's like a big splashy biopic, which it's very rare they make these while you're still alive. Normally these are posthumous kind of things. Right. But um, the reviews are saying, or the, the, the word is that it's extremely gay. It's not like, it's yes. like yes. not holding back on that, the details. And apparently he's, he's, it really is a tell all kind of film. So the gay should be very happy with the level of gayness. Yeah. Yeah. I actually read the same thing. I'm kind of really excited to um, see that I did. I did this in, in one of my one man shows once and except I held um, one of those um, drug bumpers up that, that, looked, that, looked like, that looked like little rockets. And I was like, rocket man. I was like, <laughs> you got to keep it real though. You know, when you have it, when you have an audience, you got it. You got to keep it's it real. Visual. It's, visual. It's, it's all about, the, I mean, come on. When I pulled that out, the gays were like, yeah, it's queen. It's a good drag number. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, the, so after that album, he did um, an album called, don't shoot me I'm only the piano player that was the name of his album um, and that was that came out in 1973 it reached number one in the UK and the US again so this was now this is the start of his streak of having these uh, you know these one after one number ones and he produced um, from that album came Crocodile Rock do you remember that song? Oh, I love that song that song is so like I don't know it almost it doesn't even sound it's not t- it's, it's almost like a, a from a time past when it came out it was almost like a 1950s track 60s track but it it resonated. It 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 was what it did really well. It, it was almost like now that you're saying that it was kind of like sha na na ba ba boop ba boop ba right. Very like it was kind of like that bubble gum which, like 1950s. But it it, it hit the charts. And which people loved it. isn't what you'd expect in like the, no. the, that that late. <laughs> but you know it's almost kind of like the Amy Winehouse Adele kind of um, phenomenon that happens. I mean you kind of revive those old kind of vibes. Yeah yeah yeah. Do you know the song, Philip? No, never heard it. Okay, listen you, to I'm this. Sure listen to this. I mean, it's so funny you said that because I never thought of that until you just said that. It sounds like a throwback. I was like, oh, he, this song he did in the 50s. And I look and I'm like, oh, no, he wasn't alive. In like the 50s. throwing, skipping stones and holding hands and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And what do you think, Philip? Not my fave. <laughs> well, there's something really nostalgic <laughs> and innocent about it. Well, I don't think this is about me making you have new favorite songs. <laughs> I think this is more about just understanding <laughs> what it was at the time. She's like, yeah, not going to buy it. <laughs> um, okay, girl. Um, another song came from that album called Daniel. Yeah. And I know for me, uh, that song was personal. I lost, um, my stepfather was killed in an airplane crash and his name was Dan. And so, um, and there's a line in there about, um, being on a plane. And so for, as a kid, it, it just always, I always thought that song was just about him. And, um, a lot of people, um, when, when Bernie Taupin wrote Daniel, um, it was after he, uh, read an article, I think it was time or newsweek about the Vietnam war, um, about a guy who had been wounded and he wanted to get away from the attention he was, um, receiving 
leaving when he went back home. Like he just wanted to go home and be home. He didn't want to be this hero. He didn't want to talk about what had happened. And so the last, it's interesting because the last verse of the original draft of the song was cut from the final version, um, which has led to like a lot of speculation as to like what, what was it about? Maybe it was too political. Maybe it was too this. But Daniel is noted as one of the most misinterpreted songs um, that they'd ever written. Um, because everyone kind of thinks it's about different things. But the story was about a guy that went back into the small town of Texas, returning from the Vietnam War. And, you know, everyone at home, you know, lauded him when he came home and treated him like a hero. But he just wanted to go home. He just wanted to go back to the farm and try to get back to the life that he had led before. And so he wanted to write something that was um, sympathetic to the people that came home. And so the song, you know, was written for those people that were coming home um, from the Vietnam War. Let's give it a listen. Like if you're smart, if you're smart, (laughs) like if you're smart and you have half a brain, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's like, you can kind of see that it's obviously, Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of emotion in the way Elton John sings and the way he delivers a song. Like you heard crocodile rock and then you hear that. It sounds like two different artists. Totally. He's not not stuck in one genre. Like he can really kind of jump around musically, which shows how genius he is. Any guess how many concerts he has done in his latest career? Well, he's finishing up. He's doing 300 shows. Can I just tell you? I literally went online today to try to buy tickets to this concert. Forget it. <clears throat> well, if you want really good seats, they're like $3,000. Yeah, because it's his, his farewell. Although, you know, he, this is an interesting point. He, in 1977, announced that he was retiring yeah, from music. I remember that. Um, which probably now he is, because he's obviously in his 72 or three or something like that. And he has a family and he's saying he wants to focus on his kids. So I totally get that. But um, I would love to see him in concert but he's he's actually done more than 3,500 concerts I believe that is like think about that in almost 80 countries um, around the world like I don't know I just I just find that to be sounds exhausting (laughs) (laughs) this bitch but okay but yeah but let's talk about how much money she has yeah 500 million she's she's a half up she's halfway to billionaire girl and most of that I mean literally that he gets a check every time somebody plays Lion King 
That bitch gets a check every time somebody feels the love tonight. That's the way to do it. Yeah, you know who else does that shit is Dolly Parton. Yeah, seriously. I mean, he makes more money off the rights for that show. They said that he makes, uh, they make like something like 76 million pounds. I don't know what that transfers translates to, but oh, I a shit ton of money off Lion King. And now that it's going to be a real movie. He has Beyonce going to see Beyonce is going to be in it. He's collaborating with Beyonce. That's yes. the, that's wait, the wait. Oh, oh, right. The Lion King movie. Yeah, the live movie with, he's doing the music for it. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that is going to be amazing. I yeah. saw actually a preview in the theater. They did this. Where did oh, I see this? Trailer. A trailer, something in the theater. I believe it was in the theater. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they showed all the cast and I was just like, oh my God, like that, that, that looks like something that's going to be amazing. Do you know, um, he was in a movie. Do you remember what movie he was in? I don't. Is it porn? <laughs> God, I hope not. Rocket Man. I mean, no. Rocket Man. She's called Rocket Man. Daniel. <laughs> Why does Rocket Man remind me of like one of those dogs that have the, uh, never mind. Um, he did a cover of Pinball Wizard in the movie Tommy. That was the Who movie, right? That was the Who movie. And I, I vaguely remember this. Yeah. Um, and he did Pinball Wizard. And you know who else was in that movie was Tina Turner. That I remember. And she played the Acid Queen. I remember Which that. was like... It, it was, <laughs> the Acid you know, you Queen. You have to see this. Is yeah. the, well, you, you don't know who the Who is, I'm pretty sure. But they're like this is like a psychedelic, who? crazy... Yeah. yeah, actually, I play, again, on Musical Wednesdays, I play him, Elton John, singing um, Pinball Wizard. And he's like in... I don't know if you've ever seen it when you're there, but like he's in this like crowded theater and he's like... Playing pinball, literally, and he's got these big glasses that are all glittery. He, I saw an interview him with him where he said that he owned um, over one thousand pair of glasses. Oh no, he said he has quarter of a million, two hundred and fifty. No, shut no. I looked it up. No way, two hundred and fifty thousand pairs of. She just like have a house just for her glasses, basically. <laughs> Could That's you, good. It's so crazy. Um, here's a fun little fact about Elton John. So Elton started wearing glasses to copy one of his idols, who was Buddy Holly. Oh, that would make sense. So after a while, though, his eyes adjusted to the lenses, and he had to wear glasses for real. <laughs> <laughs> he fucked up his eyes. <laughs> he fucked up his eyes. Oh my God. And then he said recently in an interview that, or not, I don't know how recent it was, but he said in an interview, they were like, um, are those prescription glasses? And he was like, no, they're not. He had, you know, whatever. Uh, LASIK. LASIK's yeah. done. He's like, so I see fine. And she's like, so what do you, he says, you know what, if I like, and now I've had them on for so many years that if I don't have them on, like I feel naked and we took them off and you're like, Oh my God, doesn't even look like Elton John anymore. Yeah, like, and she said, I don't even recognize you. He's like, well, that's <laughs> the point. Like, obviously like I don't look the same unless, um, I have, uh, unless I have glasses on. So, um, anyways, the next album that he released was called goodbye yellow brick road. Oh, I love this song. And that was 1973. It gained instant critical acclaim, topped the charts on both um, sides of the Atlantic and remained at number one for two months in a row. Um, I think it also temporarily kind of established um, Elton John as a glam rock star because it was just that energy and that look. Um, it contained a lot of number ones, one of which was um, Benny and the Jets. Um, another one was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Candle in the Wind, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, um, and Funeral for a Friend, um, and or Love Lies Bleeding. Um, so... Um, First of all, let's talk about Candle in the Wind, which came from this album, because you brought this up earlier. Yeah. So it, it was originally written in 1973 to honor, do you know who it was meant to honor? Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Um, and there was a movie. It was in a movie. It was the title track for a Marilyn Monroe 
biopic that did really poorly. Yeah, but I, the song was the most memorable. And film. there was like a, there was this actress I forget her name that, that played her though. I thought it was a pretty good. Oh, I film. thought it was good, but apparently it didn't do well in the theaters. Okay, so in 1997 he rewrote uh, he did a, he performed a rewritten version of the song as a tribute to Princess Di, um, and released the single and it reached number one in many many countries, um, proving much greater success obviously than the first time that he released it, and um, it was officially then listed as the second best selling single of all time that's pretty incredible behind what michael jackson's thriller nope what it's got to be something. You mean Rhapsody? Song. Nope. It is. It's got to be some 1950s. Happy birthday. It, it's, <laughs> okay, wait. Okay, wait. Wait. You're totally close. And let's just say it's a holiday song. Oh, my God. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, White, White Christmas. Christmas. White, White Christmas. White Christmas. Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Yep. So, I mean, that's freaking incredible, right? I remember it was such a big deal. I remember the song was a big deal. And I remember the, the when it happened was a big deal because it was the way everyone you know um, dealt with their grief. I mean, it was the it was the song that went with the situation. And I was working at Club Universe the night that that happened. I left home hearing that Princess Diana had been in an accident. What uh, year was this? This was ninety six, ni- uh, September nineteen ninety six or ninety seven. You were you were a baby. I was like nine. You were like Lord. nine. He's like Princess Who? Um, <laughs> He's like Princess Leia. Ish <laughs> <laughs> Who? <laughs> yeah, like, Leia. I mean, when I left home. When I left home to, to go to work, and that was around like 8 o'clock, they were like, oh, Princess Diana's been in an accident. And then by the time I got to the club, people were walking around like zombies. And I'm like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, Princess Diana's dead. Like, it, but of wow. course, Queen still partied, like, you know, it became a celebration. But uh, wow. the thing is, that song, like, the moment the funeral happened, was everywhere. And I think that's why it became so popular, is that, you know, everybody knew who, who Princess Di was. Oh, yeah. And so, this was kind of like their, the song that helped them grieve. This was the song that went with their grief. And I think that that makes sense why it was number one. Let's give it a quick look at something. And it does kind of bring back the memories of that time, um, even though, again, it was originally written for Marilyn Monroe. And when he re-recorded it, it was Goodbye England's Rose for Princess Di. Right. Because that would have been kind of fucked up to be at the yeah. funeral and be like, Goodbye Norma Jean. <laughs> the fuck's Norma Jean? Queen Elizabeth's like, what the fuck, bitch? Change the lyrics. What, what, the other, what was the bitch? Camilla? That's the one that he was cheating with? Oh, right. What he should have done. Right. That bitch. Right. Um, so uh, do you, do I, now you might not remember, but I, I didn't remember until I actually saw her, but there was this PBS journalist and her name was Gwen Eiffel. She was, she was probably one of the, uh, at the time, like the most, um, noticeable African American PBS journalist. She, um, did the moderation for the president's election, I believe oh, yeah, in 2012. Yeah, yeah. I remember her. Remember she was really popular. Well, she, she died, um, 
I think it was I think a couple years ago she died but she did this interview with um, with Elton John and um, they talk about at the end she was talking about the glasses for a little bit but then she talks about um, Benny and the Jets mm-hmm. and how what that song was and and I if you don't know if you don't know anything about Benny and the Jets um, this kind of sums it up and I didn't know this about it and it was just kind of an interesting interview so um, give give this uh, give this interview a listen here how many times would you say in your life in your career have you sung Benny and the Jets well, I've done three th- over 3,000 shows as Elton John. Um, Benny and the Jets was on Goodbye Yellow Road, which was about my sixth album, seventh album. So I must have sung it at least 2,000 times. 2,000 times? And do you get sick of it? No. Um, we don't, time, but I don't know about you. No, I mean, when you have a big repertoire like I have, you can exchange things. But Benny and the Jets has always been a constant because, for me, it was my first R&B hit record. Uh, I was a white boy from England. Benny and the Jets was from Yellow Bit Road, and it became the number one black record in Detroit. It and it became the Detroit Pistons theme song for a while. And they said to me, it's the number one black record. And for me, that's my favorite music. I went, oh, my God. So <laughs> when you just play that one note at the beginning. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. So no, I've, how can you get fed up with that? <laughs> thank you very much for playing with us. Thank you. Thank you, gorgeous. You are wonderful. Yeah, thank you, gorgeous. Right. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, um, let's give it a little listen here. This is the track. I love that his favorite stuff is black music. Who is it? Right? That was it. That was it. jam isn't it i could listen to just the piano right i don't know yeah you didn't even need the lyrics right but again look how he just jumps from like you know genre to genre how he's able to deliver a song and that and that is obviously why he is so influential with so many different artists today right because he's he's, he's able everywhere. he's crossed over to so many different types I mean, of he could write a broadway show and then do that which he did phenomenal yeah he's um let's great. talk about his broadway show he had lion king yeah aida yeah. and billy elliott yeah wow I had no idea. Yeah, that's Those crazy. Shows. Yeah, I mean, in all award-winning shows, he won. He won plenty. He won Grammy oh, awards Tony and award. uh, Tony awards after Tony awards for these for these shows that he um, wrote the music for. I mean, it's this is just one of those careers that you just you can't even you can't sum up in the time that we have. But you want to try to do it justice. Um, just moving on quickly to kind of talk about a little bit about his 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 journey. Um, he formed his own record label called the Rocket Record Company, and that was. Um, something that he did way back in the early 70s he he signed people like neil sadaka who you probably don't know i, I mean i right i mean i know neil sadaka um kiki d who he later ended up doing that duet with them don't go breaking my heart right um 
And instead of releasing his own records on his own label, he opted for an $8 million contract that was offered to him through MCA, which is kind of interesting. But I guess at the time, it was like, okay, this is a guaranteed $8 million versus yeah. me trying to do this shit on my own. And also, I think he wanted to pioneer new music more so than make money. I think his, his goal, I think, was you know, to get new sounds out. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Um, he imagined that just after a few years of hitting the scene, this is now 1974, the MCA released Elton John's greatest, um, greatest hits. Um, to have a greatest hits album? <laughs> Halfway through your career. Like, yeah. only a few years yeah. into your whole career is kind of like, uh, okay, it sold 16 million copies. Like, you have a greatest hits and you <laughs> only have like three out of four albums. Out. You know, that it really did anything. Um, one of the albums that I really love was called Caribou, and it was released in 1974. It was his third number one in, in the UK and the US, um, and it reportedly recorded. It was por- reportedly recorded just in two weeks' time, which is pretty pretty amazing. Um, and it had the song "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me," which you know that George song. George Michael made famous again. George Michael made famous again. I mean, the song was amazing, and then when they did that duet, that was pretty pretty um, spectacular. Um, you know, besides being the most commercially successful period, which I think for him was like 1970 to 1976 is when he had his album um, you know he, he also um, held was held in the most uh, in the most regard critically he had uh, with only a three year span between 1972 and 1975 he saw seven consecutive albums reach number one um, something that had never been accomplished before in, in any in anybody's career so no one had ever seen that um, before um, and then we talked a little bit about The Lion King but in the 1990s he collaborated with Tim Lear um, Tim Rice sorry um, for The Lion King he won Academy Awards um, for can you feel the love tonight and circle of life? Uh, he won Tony awards for, um, for all of those shows that we discussed. Um, and he, uh, you know, he wrote a lot of stuff for, for a lot of different, uh, different artists and different people and different movies. So, you know, this is, this is, this is a guy who's been obviously super busy. And I think talking about a gay icon, you know, what made him a gay icon outside of him just being gay? I mean, like we said, he first admitted he was bisexual, which is like whatever. But I think, you know, like we talked about in, uh, before with um, David Bowie, it was this gender bending thing. It was being able to wear these crazy elaborate, you know, almost effeminate outfits. I mean, I've seen pictures of Elton John when he comes out in this big, this big, Hoop, and like, hope thing and yeah. he's, he's literally wearing a dress yeah. you know what I mean um, and and so funny story guess what else he's totally into and has supported for years that has nothing to do with music that you would never think he was a part of well I know he has he has his own uh, the Elton John AIDS Foundation which has raised like 400 million bucks. He has a big Oscar party every year that he does. Right. So he definitely has um, his foundation, which is, like you said, has raised like over $400 million over the years and has been there. He has the, the Oscars after party, whatever. Does, does he have a line of sunglasses? Well, that would make fucking that would make sense. sense. Right? Like, why? Like, Maybe, or is it shampoo? Does he have shampoo? <laughs> no shampoo. No shampoo. She, she, right. She, She's got she, plugs. She got plugs. I don't think she, yeah, I think she got a special shampoo for that. <laughs> um, but she is a huge football fan. Oh, uh, in in England, oh. you know English football. No, yeah, who cares? Uh, yeah, right. But no, but <laughs> she has. But you would, but you would never think that he was like this sports. You know, um, this, this sports. <laughs> Not my fave. What do you say? Not my fave. <laughs> Not my fave. Uh, what, British British football. British football. Where well, they just like pansy around. They like it's soccer. British football is soccer, right? Yeah. Well, they do like they do with that little po- the pony dance. Like they feel like it's never. It's not really. You know. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it's like it's not with you. 
Have you ever watched, um, I think it was Family Guy too that does an episode oh, yeah. of where they play English football and it's like, excuse me, pardon me, and pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. It's like this ridiculous, like, and they're like prancing down the field. Where's the, li- where's the live feed of this? <laughs> I know, we, no, we seriously, we seriously have to, um, have a webcam in here. <laughs> right. Um, well, this was another, um, uh, one more quick uh, track that I want to play from, um, Yellow Brick Road, which I just, the song is just freaking awesome. It just, I don't know. Give it a sec. When are you gonna come down? When are you going to land? I should have stayed on the phone. I should have listened to my the Wizard of Oz, right? It is. But it's something. It has something to do with it. Like I think it's the principle of like the yellow brick road to somewhere. Yeah. Like goodbye, your 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 road to happiness. <laughs> <laughs> what it was. Did you did you guys know that um that he and Madonna had a little tiffy tiff? Oh yeah. Oh no. Do you know Do you know about it? I they've had a couple, but they had one where they were. Very so it, the feud began in 2004, while Elton was accepting award for um, best classic songwriter. And, um, and this is an excerpt from his speech. Here he said, uh, Madonna, best live act? And then he like redacted off. And he was like, he's like, since when has lip syncing been live? Ooh. Shots fired. He writes, shots, fired. shots fired. He's like, sorry about that, but I think everyone who lip syncs on stage in public when you pay like 75 quid to see them should be shot. Thank you very much. That's me. That's me off a Christmas card list. But do I give a? He goes. But do I give a toss? No. Toss. <laughs> but do. But do I give a toss? Yeah. They. They always had. I feel like they had a few on and off. I think that continued on. Yeah. I think she fired back, and then he said some stuff. But I think they. They patched it up. I think. I think now that they. They've definitely patched it up, and I think things are. You know. I mean, celebrity feuds are a good way to stay current. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone's popular, if you can get them to engage with you in a feud, then you kind of, you know, make yourself a little more relevant. Yeah. He was a big supporter of Hillary Clinton during yeah. her campaign. I think he donated like two point, raised $2.5 million or something for her. Um, That's pocket change for him. That's like two pairs of sunglasses. <laughs> I know, right? Can you believe that? Um um, so there's before we go out, we're out of time again. I can't like yeah, this it, needs to be a two part series for Elton John. For, well, it needs to be like for for some of these artists, it's really hard to bring it. I mean, I used to do this in 30 minutes. No, you can't even get to the 80s. I can't even. Though. Right. I mean, it, it, you don't. And we again, this is literally like taking your finger on the top of the cake and just like going like that because yep. there's just there's so much and so much time. But you know, if for people that don't know anything about Elton John, you hope or, or you know they know who he is or they know a couple of songs, but like a little bit more of the history. You know, it's it's interesting because as I 
I do my research um, and I spend a lot of time researching this stuff you know um, it's so it's so amazing how much I learn and I'm like wow really I didn't know that I didn't know that so I'm also learning as I as I go along and it's it's really been um, a great journey to kind of be able to but try you know, to decide what what makes an artist an I a gay icon it's it's such a like you know it's such a like gray area you know, but some people just have it, and I think Elton John is definitely one of those guys. Well, I know one of the things that um, definitely probably helped to put him into the gay market for sure is um, when his he ass. when he did his wife his ass. <laughs> I don't know about that, but but he did he did he did do a little number with one of our super uber famous drag queens. Oh, the RuPaul. Did you do it with RuPaul? Uh huh. Oh, I remember this. He did a duet with RuPaul, which what was is? like uh huh, which was and I. I remember being I, out in West Hollywood at the bars <laughs> watching this music video and being like, Rue motherfucking Paul is singing with Elton fucking John. Like how, and, and so again, it's like, I remember going, how cool is that? Like to see, you know, her and then him together. I was like, oh my God. And it did feel like a voice. And even though he wasn't like saying, you know, hey, I'm gay because I'm singing with her. It was like that. Yeah. And it was, but um, you have to, <laughs> you have to listen to a little bit of it because it's kind of funny. It's like a dancey mix of don't go breaking Remind my heart. Um, wait, listen. <laughs> 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 oh shit. I'm playing the wrong one. Here we go. Here we go. Come on, dance. It's very like early 2000s. It's very, yeah, it's very like... And wait to hear how Rue's voice is synthesized. Listen up, listen up. So Philip, you have two, history moment. You have two music two music videos you have to go watch. <laughs> right. um, but this music video you should definitely go watch because <clears throat> it's just another one. And, and even how like Rue looks back then, like just not as obviously as refined. I mean, she was younger, obviously, but it's just such a yeah. different look. And know, to see the two of them interacting with each other, and I don't this know. This wasn't. A, I mean, he's had a few gay moments, but I think his biggest gay moment was when he sang with Eminem. Do you remember that? What the controversy? Yes, Eminem had put out all the anti-gay lyrics, and yep. the the uh, Grammys opened up 2001 with with him playing yeah uh, Stan doing Stan with oh yeah it was a huge it, it, I mean the gay community was really split on that like, they were split because yeah. they were like how can you be performing and supporting with somebody you know who's like this but then the other half was like you know I think kind of like the well the quote that I found was that you know when he was questioned about it um, you know when he and David Furnish, uh, Furnish got married he was like well Eminem sent us a gift I guess that's a homophobe for you <laughs> he was just very much like so I guess you know they were friends and they were they were always friends I guess the lyrics from those songs were meant to be a character even though it was an anti-gay you know 
right. promoted violence. It was, you know, very controversial at the time. I mean, it just it amazes me just the span of his career, the different things that have happened, experiences that someone like this has had in in their lifetime, yeah. and and it's pretty incredible how influential a, a person can be in their lifetime. Um, I'm going to close out with um, one of my favorite songs um, that you mentioned earlier, which is "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me." It was oh, yeah. the um, duet with George Michael, and if you've ever seen this live, it's super so good, super powerful, and it's super amazing. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to Really Queen Radio. I want to thank my guest co-host David Helton and Philip Grasso. Yes, thanks for having me. Lady. Thank you guys so much. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share them with your friends or your enemies. <laughs> whatever, girl. <laughs> um, Instagram is Really Queen Radio. Our website is reallyqueenradio.com and um, super excited uh, to bring you some more stuff this season. So stay tuned and thanks again and we will see you next week. We're going out with uh, George Michael and Elton John singing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Have a good week.
It's San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Yo. All right. Can you can you help me out again? You've helped me so much. Pretty lady in the back. Can we, can we cut the music? Grocery, a worker owned can we cut the music? Food cooperative located Is that possible? 45 Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say. Oh, man. All right, let's get this motherfucker started. We're going to start with some crowd work. This would be a better show if. Shout it out. The host was here. We can drink here. Make some noise for Serene. Do the people on air even know this is a mic? What the fuck? This is a tight operation. I was at least expecting 30 seconds of crowd work. Some kind of something. You didn't hear any of that, did you? Yeah, fuck that guy. Okay, anyways, uh, I'm just kidding. He's cool. Um, cool. All right, let's talk about it. So, uh, I'm broke. I don't know. Are you guys broke? Because, uh, okay, we get it. You do a successful job in the daytime, 9 to 5, went to Cal Berkeley, and you're buff. Okay, I need to work out. Okay, uh, fucking, yeah, no, I'm broke. And I mean broke, okay, not poor. There's a big difference. Because broke is when the napkins at McDonald's are thicker than your toilet paper. Okay, and then, and poor is when the napkins at McDonald's are your toilet paper. And you shit in the to-go bag. Okay, big difference. Um, yeah, I'm broke. And I, I found out recently that 99 cent tacos from Jack in the Box have no nutritional value. They just hold space in your stomach long enough for you to go job hunting. <laughs> Cardboard with sriracha works just as good. Um, and I live in a very illegal housing situation at the moment in an attic. Uh, the family downstairs hasn't noticed yet, so it's chill. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just like, um, I live with like a... Flat black plastic. It's special Tuesday afternoon version. It's going to be subbed in on Saturday, so who knows what's going to happen? With you know. From the weed. In a country garden, a lovely rose looked down upon a common weed and said, You are an unwelcome guest economically useless and unsightly of appearance. The devil must love weeds. He made so many of them. The unwelcome guest looked up at the rose and said, Lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds, and one supposes that goes for roses. My name is Dorothy Perkins, the rose said haughtily. 
What are you, a beetle weed, a bladder weed, a beggar weed? But you know all I get is the same thing so kindly. Mm-hmm. Some change of your mind, hard times today.